It is Friday, September 16th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. I'm your host, Lance Glenn. Before we start, I just want to remind everyone that if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like this video and subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening as a podcast, remember to give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. So let's go back to last week, right? Week two preview episode. We talked about some of the QB competitions to watch entering last Saturday's slate of games. We had on Michigan, Ole Miss, Penn State, and Clemson. And after last week's game, some of those competitions were decided. So on today's episode, as we look ahead to tomorrow's action, we are going to talk about some of the coaches under the most pressure to win. So joining me to discuss fresh off a trip to Auburn to talk to Brian Harson is Brandon Marcello. Marcello, how are we doing? Thanks so much for joining me and coming on. Doing great, man. How are you? I- I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm doing better than most of, if not all of the coaches uh, that we're going to talk about, or at least I'm not under the same amount of pressure, I should say, uh, than most of, if not all of the coaches we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about four head coaches and actually one offensive coordinator at the end too. Uh, a little sneak peek there, but let's begin in College Station. The biggest game of the weekend, Texas A&M welcomes Miami. The Aggies obviously coming off a tough loss to Appalachian State, a real stunner in that program, and specifically Jimbo Fisher. They've heard it this week and have been the subject of quite a few jokes as things have progressed. The offense has struggled with a loss. They would fall to one and two with a tough schedule moving forward. That would make things very difficult for the Aggies this year. How much pressure in your mind is Jimbo Fisher under to notch a win, a ranked win nonetheless, and kind of get things back on track and sort of silence the critics for at least the next week? Yeah, suddenly, I mean, we, we kind of circled this game against Miami as a is a big one, but now it's suddenly even bigger because listen, I mean, AM's already out of the playoff race, obviously, but they got to beat Miami to make this season salvageable in the eyes of AM fans, I think, because now they're on the brink of you lose to Miami, maybe you're a seven win team. And that's just not a good thing because we know the Aggies have done a very good job recruiting-wise the last four years, signed the best recruiting class ever in 24-7 sports composite history. But you move forward into 23 and 24, that'll start negatively affecting your recruiting there. So this is a very big week when we talk about not just this season, about trying to get over an eight-win hump, but also for recruiting over these next couple of years, in my opinion. Yeah, and of course, in the era in which we live in with the transfer portal, the last thing you want is for those players in previous classes that you signed that were so highly touted to start thinking and to start maybe even second guessing their decisions. So wins obviously uh, would go a long way in making sure that the classes keep progressing and that those players that you previously signed uh, keep continuing on in your program. So Jimbo Fisher, obviously someone who has been at the helm of A&M for a while now, but Marcus Freeman, on the other hand, is in his first season at Notre Dame, you know, a tough loss to Ohio State on the road in week one. No issues there. Ohio State's one of the best three teams in the country. But last week, a loss to Marshall at home. Tyler Buckner, the quarterback, sustained an injury. He's out for the season. But even with him, the offense was obviously having some issues. Like I said, he's only in year one. So a different kind of pressure than Jimbo Fisher, who's obviously been at A&M since the late 2010s. They take on a 2-0 Cal team at home. And if they lose, they'd then be 0-3 heading into a game at UNC. So what's the level of pressure on Marcus Freeman in your mind in year one leading the Irish as he still looks for his first win as head coach? You know, it, I think there's a tremendous amount of pressure being 0-3 as a head coach at Notre Dame for the first time. And listen, he's not going to he's not gonna get fired or anything after this year. But again, recruiting. Notre Dame has been killing it on the recruiting trail under Marcus Freeman, but now you're in danger of maybe trying to erase some of that goodwill out there that's, you know, out there with some of those, those players. And when you're a first-time head coach and you're 0 for and you're losing the way that they are losing right now, people start wondering, was he the right hire? Now, that's probably unfair because he needs a season or two to really prove himself. But again, I think there's a 
primary concern and a lot of the similar through lines through through all these coaches we're talking about the offenses just not working right now Notre Dame we knew they would probably take a half step back if not a full step back offensively but I don't think we were expecting it to look quite like this and as you mentioned losing the quarterback now to injury what exactly are you going to expect there are they going to become even more conservative offensively a lot of questions to figure out there and again Notre Dame's in that spot much like A&M where they're already out of the playoff race now it's just about trying to salvage a season and get some momentum going and I hate saying that after just two weeks of a season but goodness we it's just about salvaging seasons and trying to build things up to when you get on the recruiting trail again and you start signing that early signing class in December, you've got some positive momentum that you can share to these recruits. But do you think for Marcus Freeman compared to Jimbo Fisher, there's a little bit more slack given to him, obviously, because he is in year one and a lot of the roster, really all of the roster, he inherited from Brian Kelly. So these quarterback issues and the conservative offense issues, none of the players that are on it are his. He wasn't even the offensive coordinator. It's not like he was promoted from offense to head coach. He was promoted from defense to head coach and the defense has been fine. So do you think there's a little bit more slack given to Marcus Freeman because of inheriting a roster that he hasn't been able to really put his hands on yet? Yeah, certainly. And it's early. And as you said, you know, he's still trying to build the program the the way he wants to see it, which is going to be pretty similar to what Brian Kelly was doing. So there's a lot of great talent there. It's just, he's still got to mold it his way. And you just mentioned with Jimbo Fisher, that is his baby. That is his offense at A&M. And he's in a spot and we didn't get to this. I don't mean to backtrack, but I think it's very clear that Fisher needs to relinquish his role as play caller at A&M and kind of revitalize and refurbish that offense and kind of move into modern times because that offense at A&M is very stagnant. The criticism with it has always been they just don't stretch the field. They don't use tempo very much. And that really hurts them, especially considering just how talented A&M is on the perimeter and, and has been for several years. Even at Florida State under previously under Jimbo Fisher, that's been the knock on him. Spread it out a little bit throw the ball, put some tempo out there. And for whatever reason, he just won't do it. And I think he's got to make a change. He's got to get with the times. He's got to give up play calling because if he continues to do this, there will be more losses, not just this season, but next year. Because next year in 2023 at A&M, that really is their window to be in the playoff and get to a national championship game. And they keep doing things the way they're doing an offense there at A&M under Fisher. They're, they're not going to get there because they're going to have some very flat performances offensively. Yeah, well, you have two coaches at two different stages uh, in their tenures at their respective programs, Freeman at Notre Dame, Fisher at Texas A&M, but nonetheless, two coaches under pressure, both of whom could use wins this upcoming week. We're going to take a quick break and on the other side, talk about a few more coaches under pressure heading into week three. You're listening to the College Football Daily. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joined here on the College Football Daily by Brandon Marcello to discuss the coaches under the most pressure entering week three. And Brandon, you took a trip to Auburn to talk with Brian Harson this week. You can find Brandon's conversation with the Auburn head coach on this podcast feed, as well as on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Auburn's 2-0, but coming off a much tighter win than expected against San Jose State last week. They welcome in Penn State on Saturday for a huge non-conference matchup for both teams. And we know everything Harson went through this offseason. That only amplifies, I think, the importance of a game like this against a ranked Big Ten opponent. 
How do you judge the importance of this game for Harston and for Auburn moving forward heading into SEC play next weekend? They need positive momentum at Auburn. They haven't had that in several years, dating back even to the later days of the Gus Malzahn era. Harson needs a victory to kind of get something going there as far as just, here's my identity. The team has adopted it. And now it's leading to actual wins and big victories. They haven't had that yet there. And he's only 15 games into his tenure. This will be his 16th game. But I mean, the the conversations around that program when I was down there for a couple of days, it's a lot of people expect him to be fired after this season almost regardless of what happens because so many people want him out. They don't feel like he's a good fit or whatever. And it's it's quite fascinating that there's this belief out there that he's going to be fired, especially if they have like a 500 season. Now, if he has a 10 and 2 season, you know, I think that changes the conversation a little bit. But I think a victory here can give him some positive momentum on the recruiting trail because that's been the big sticking point for a lot of fans and the boosters there. Recruiting has been pretty dreadful. I think right now they rank 62nd nationally in the 24-7 sports composite for the 2023 recruiting class, which is I believe last in the SEC, if not second to last. They've got to get some momentum going there. And he even told me, he goes, once we start winning and they see what this can be and should be, people will start wanting to come here more. And so he's got to get that win. I think this is a huge, huge moment for him. Auburn opens the season in here with five straight home games. That's insane. But they got an opportunity here to start 5-0. and Problem is, back half of this schedule is loaded with top 15 teams, and a lot of them are on the road. And of course, they have to go to Tuscaloosa for the Iron Bowl to end the regular season. They also have to go to Georgia after this five-game homestand. So it is very important that they build momentum here early in the season, starting with this Penn State game. Because you lose to Penn State, then all of a sudden you could potentially have two losses, maybe one loss going into that back half of the schedule. And that back half of the schedule is, again, brutal. Remember, Auburn last season finished the year 0-5. A lot of people think that that could be the case once again this year just because of that crazy, crazy schedule. So very important they win this game. Otherwise, that ice underneath Brian Harson's feet will start cracking a little bit more. From what Auburn has coming up and from what they did the last two weeks, beating, I think it was Mercer in week one. And then obviously, like I said, only a 24-16 win against San Jose State last weekend. Is there a little bit more angst or anxiety from what you felt being on campus, talking with the head coach, surrounding this game against Penn State, knowing how important it is for the remaining part of the schedule? Because like you said, they start off with five straight home games, but then that back half is really difficult. So they need to rack up wins now. And a loss here would, I think, kind of set them back and make that second half just that much tougher. Yeah, that and there's the uneasy feeling around the building. I was in the athletics complex there for a couple of days and, you know, their athletics director, Alan Green, just resigned because he was expecting his contract to not be renewed at the end of this year. So he's, he's getting out. And Alan Green was the man who hired Brian Harson. He's his guy. And so Harson's one safety net he had left is kind of out of the building. And a lot of people in that building have no idea what's going to happen next. And um, But they've put blinders on. They're focused on trying to win because that's how you stay alive in coaching. That's how you keep things going. And this is a pivotal moment. I I think this is, I hate using the word because it's used a lot these days, but this is an inflection point uh, for Auburn football. And for that matter, more importantly, for Brian Harson, because if he he loses this game, the narrative not only doesn't change, but it'll go down a deeper and darker path because then the, the, the rumors, the murmurs will start heating back up. And as you said, back half of the schedule is brutal. And yet still, 
even with this five-game homestand, they still have to bring in LSU near the end of it. And to me, you cannot lose both of those games at home, LSU and Penn State. At the very least, at the very worst, you can split them and then maybe get in the back half of the schedule and still finish above 500. So yes, this is a pivotal game. I, I would argue this is the biggest game of the Brian Harson era and one that can turn things around or keep it going down the trajectory it's going right now, which is those boosters working behind the scenes that were trying to get him fired and ousted back in January and February. They're still working. They're waiting to pounce. And uh, I assure you, they will pounce at the end of the season if things go awry. So Brendan, last one, and we're going to actually for this one, combined father and son here. And we're going to talk about the Ferences as a whole. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz and his son, offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz. So Iowa so far, they've scored 14 points uh, through two weeks. They're one and one coming off a 10-7 loss to rival Iowa State in the Seahawks game. Of those 14 points, only 10 of them have come via the offense. The other four coming off of two safeties. Things need to change for Iowa soon. Otherwise, the discontent surrounding specifically Brian Ferentz will continue to grow quickly. They, I'm sure to the dismay of many Iowa fans, are starting Spencer Petras this weekend against Nevada. I mean, look, talk about pressure, right? This weekend is as good, in my opinion, as good an opportunity as any for the Hawkeyes to finally do something offensively against the Nevada team that just gave up 55 points to Incarnate Word. So it's like, if not this weekend for Iowa, then when? Because Big Ten play starts week four. Something needs to change now for Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, and this Iowa offense. If Iowa does not score 30 points against Nevada, then it is completely broken there. And Spencer Petrus, as you mentioned, I believe he's thrown one touchdown pass in the last 10 games. And has thrown, I think, 11 interceptions during that time. Something like that. But it's been one touchdown pass, I know, the last 10 games. Crazy. And that offense has always been like that under the Ferrances and, and, and with Brian Ferrance. Again, I, I, it's worse than what's going on at Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. They have got to change things at Iowa offensively. I mean, Kirk Ferentz, very successful. They always are in the thick of things, it seems like, every other year. But it's so stagnant at this point. How does that affect recruiting? And they just got a commitment from a quarterback that they really like. And they got some dual threat guys there that they're trying to bring in. But... I don't know if Iowa's offense can ever be exciting. It is what it is. It isn't like, I don't know if he can just change overnight, Kirk Ferentz. So get that offense going a little bit. If you can't get it going against Nevada, something is is very, very wrong with you. And listen, the criticism from the fans and the media, very much warranted with Kirk Ferentz. And I also think he's probably handling this the completely wrong way by almost being defiant. Uh, in fact, this week he said that, that there's even people on his own staff that don't believe Spencer Petras should be the starter, but I'm going to start them anyway. It's just, I guess it's it's good to be the king and, and, and have a program that you've built pretty much and uh, have been able to win in the Big Ten, but he's I think he's, he's driving down the wrong lane of the highway right now, so to speak. He's picking his battles uh, incorrectly at this moment. Yeah, well, look, it's good to have some sort of leeway uh, to if you're Kirk Ferentz. I mean, what he's built there at Iowa, uh, I think people are definitely giving him the benefit of the doubt, but I also don't think it helps that the offensive coordinator shares yes. the same last name uh, as the head coach. That, now, that what does amplifies. that mean? I mean, we can only infer. That amplifies it so much more because it's then, well, he's not only your guy, he's a family member, so it's going to make you even less likely to make a change. And But the thing is about coaching, if, if push comes to shove, I mean, coaches will, will, will fire their own wives, you know, if they have to from a staff and let alone their own brother. And listen, we, we've seen that happen with the Stoops brothers and, and others across the country. So, But the thing is, is I, I don't see how it can get any worse. So it's like, even if it gets slightly better, is that enough? I don't think so. They, they've, they've got to change things there. 
there. I'm not saying revolutionize the offense and start, you know, throwing the ball 45 times a game, but do something. You got to change it up a little bit. Modernize. We can only imagine uh, what the uh, reporters will be uh, typing away on on late Saturday, early Sunday, if Iowa against Nevada only puts up two scores, only puts up 17 points, heading into Big Ten play. Things are going to be rough in Iowa City if that happens. So four head coaches and an offensive coordinator, too, all under pressure to win here in week three. Texas A&M takes on Miami. Notre Dame takes on Cal. Auburn, Penn State, and Iowa takes on Nevada. Will all four head coaches rise to the pressure and notch week three wins? Well, I guess only time is really going to tell for all four of them and for Brian Ferentz too. Brandon, as always, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate you joining me. Hey, no problem. Remember to like this video and subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And if you're listening, make sure to give us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. For Brandon Marcello, I am Lance Glenn. Enjoy your week three of college football and thanks for listening to the College Football Daily.